Hey there, podcast listeners. Uh, my name is Wesley, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and give you a bit of a behind-the-scenes look at uh, what you're about to hear here. Um, this is the community worship service, which included St. Joseph's CME and Grace Community Church at the Varsity Theater with Love Chapel Hill. And um, we usually record the first service, but we had some audio issues, and uh, this time around we're recording the second one. But in the second service, uh, the spirit was just kind of moving uh, after we sung How Great Thou Art. So Matt felt that the congregation had something to say and that the spirit had something to teach us. And he opened the floor to the congregation to offer up their own testimony. And that's what you're about to hear here. But we don't have microphones out in the theater. So... All of this came in through Matt's mic or the, the band's microphones, and uh, I had to boost it up so you could actually hear it. So you're going to hear a very amateur job at playing with the audio to make it sound good, and I hope you'll forgive me for that. Um, after it's done, Matt begins his sermon as usual. So bear with me on the audio issues and uh, listen in to the heart of these people, and the stories they have to tell. Thanks so much. Does anybody have a testimony they want to share? Yeah. We're on his agenda today. Everything else can get out of the way. Man. See, won't have something stirring on their hearts that they want to share. Or even just a word of praise for the Lord. Yes. Amen. I lost my son to a car. Mm. I saw it had traumatic pain. Mm. But God still gets it going. Amen. Yes. He still does. Amen. And he don't do nothing else but him. He done did enough. Mm. Mm. He brought him back so he yeah. could understand. Mm. Who is God? Amen. And God is God all by himself. Amen. I just want to thank God for what he does to me. To keep my mind strong. Mm-hmm. I could have lost my mind. Mm-hmm. I could have been an infant. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Well, but God saved mm-hmm. what he had to see for me. Amen. My prayer was given back to him. And I'll do what I can for And I'm going to keep Hallelujah. And he's still here. Hallelujah. January the 26th. Yes. Mm. 
doing in your life. Let's hear it, brother. I just praise God for Amen. the stories and testimonies that he's going to lay to us here. Amen. And uh, so we know how good God is. Yeah. That's right. And I thought I would be remiss if I just sat here and just didn't get a chance to share a few words. Amen. I had an opportunity to fly home from, fly home from California on Wednesday night. Mm. And uh, we were already prayed up. My mother uh, had hip tr- surgery on uh, Thursday morning. And, uh, you know, God is a powerful God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we were already walking in faith, and he's already listening. Mm. Mom is at home. Hallelujah. Resting. She's taking her medication. Mm. She's full of joy and happiness. Hallelujah. 
Amen. 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 As I stand here today and I'm celebrating the victory and the things that yes. God's going to do short term and long term, yes. I found out in the midst of it all that my, my younger cousin, he fights for his life. Mm. He laughs lungs and he has a hole in his lungs. Mm. He's undergoing some complications. Mm. But uh, we're not going to just give the devil in credit. Mm -hmm. See, God gives Ooh. us another opportunity yes. to show us how powerful he is. That's right. So I ask for the church's prayer. God will work miracles of healing. Yes. That's right. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, this is your time. We are your people. And we are surrendered to you. If you want to continue to redirect, then this is yours. This is yours. We're here for your word. We're here to engage with your word anyway, not what anybody else has to say, not any prepared notes. We're here to hear from your word. So you continue to move, please. We're asking you and we're telling you we're open. We're surrendered and we're open. Help us to have our eyes open, our ears open, our hearts open and awake to what you want to do. And we're surrendered to it. Take our will, take our heart, take our mind and align them with yours. And show us what it means to walk in step with the Spirit. And show us what it means to live under your reign. And show us what it means to live in that living relationship with you. We are yours. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you feel the need to, you've got something on your heart and it's burning and you need to share it, then you have all permission to interrupt. All right, it's not interrupting. I, I would be interrupting you if you didn't share it, okay? So if you feel something burning and you need to share it, then please stand up and do it, okay? All right. Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. That's what we're going to be looking at today. We're in this series together at Love Chapel Hill where we're talking about the heart. What does it mean when we say our name is our mission? To love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. So we're walking through the gospels, through the life of Jesus, through the teachings of Jesus, through encounters that he has with people that reveal what the heart of Jesus looks like because we don't define what love looks like. It's already been defined through the life and the teachings and the death and the resurrection and the victory of Jesus Christ. He sets the scope, he is the anchor. Love flows from him. And so everything is set by that. So we're digging into the life of Jesus and to his teachings to see what does this look like? What is the heart of God like? And this morning we're going to talk about that, that cultural mark of the kingdom of reckless love. Reckless love that the heart of Jesus is driven by this reckless love. And he calls us to love the people around us. In that same kind of way. Reckless love. Matthew chapter 5. This is the Sermon 
on the mount. And this is kind of the easy part of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is into. Uh, Verse 43. You have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. The easy stuff. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, then what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than any others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Well, I was about 10 years old. We were on a family trip. And uh, we were headed back from a family trip, and we were at that one point in the trip where uh, my two brothers and I, we were just at each other's throats, all right? We were fighting all the time, so my dad is in the front seat driving, and my mom is in the passenger seat up front, and on this side of me is my younger brother, Josh. He's eight years old. I'm sitting in the middle, 10 years old, and my older brother, Chris, is on this side, and he's 14. And so we're just at each other's throats, and my dad has finally lost it. Many of you know him. He's a gentle man. He's a patient man, but he lost it in this moment, all right? He was tired of it. So he was looking at us through the rearview mirror, and he just launched into this lecture on the virtues of brotherhood, okay? And right there in the middle of that, as we're like scared and straightened up and and like paying attention to him, my younger brother who's sitting on this side of me turns to me and just starts talking, As if my dad isn't even there, okay? He just starts talking, and I'm thinking to myself, man, you should really be quiet, but I want to see where this is going to (laughs) go. And so he's he's doing that, and my dad sees it, and he gets upset. You know, he's he's kind of angry about this, and so he gives him that that dad talk, right? And he's like, Joshua, which is you're in trouble if you get your full name said to you, but especially if it's your biblical full name then you're especially in trouble, right? And so he's like, Joshua, don't you hear me talking to you? And my brother looks back at him through the reflection and says, yeah, but I've heard it all before. Yeah. You know that that threat that your parents make about like, I will pull this car over right now? It's real, okay? It is real. So my dad pulls the car over. He gets out and he comes to that back door and he grabs a hold of that door handle. And my brother looks at him through the window and goes, <laughs> just locks the door. My dad is losing it. All right. He reaches up, hits the unlock button, comes at it again. And my brother's like, <laughs> all right. This time, dad hits the unlock button, comes back, and he holds the button down, right? opens the door, and for all of my brother's, like, courage and and hubris in that moment, he failed to think through an exit strategy. He was still buckled into his seatbelt, so he's, like, trying to get away from my dad that way while the two brothers on this side, like, no. Yeah, that's right. It was awesome. I've heard it all before. I think that's the spirit of the world around us. When they hear us as Christians talking about the message of Jesus, they say, I've heard it all before, but I've yet to see anything 
that matches up. I've heard it all before, this radical teaching of Jesus. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I'm telling you, love your enemies. Love your enemies. This is a radical word of reckless love that Jesus gives to us. We're going to unpack this today. Uh, Matthew is setting Jesus up as he's describing the story uh, in Matthew chapter 4. He talks about Jesus being baptized, and then from his baptism, he moves into this 40-day period in the desert, and then from there, he calls this community around him to be his people and to be his followers, and then he sits down on the mountain here on the Sermon on the Mount. He sits down on the mountainside. He opens his mouth, and he turns the world upside down with this revolutionary teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew is intentionally making these connections in the mind of his original readers. The Gospel of Matthew is written to a largely Jewish audience. And so he's intentionally making these connections back to Moses. And that as you follow the story of Jesus, you're going to keep seeing these echoes of Moses. Remember, Matthew chapter 4, there's the water, and then there's the desert, and then the community around him. And then the mountainside, echoing the story of Moses, the water as God parts the Red Sea and leads the people through to safety into the desert, into the wilderness, where then God on on the mountain, on Mount Sinai, gives them the word, gives them the commandments as he forms this people around himself. And he says, this is what it looks like to live in covenant with God. This is what it looks like to be God's people in the world. And Matthew is setting Jesus up in the same kind of light. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's called his disciples around himself. And he says, this is what it looks like to be the people of God in the world. As he begins to unfold the Sermon on the Mount, he uses this this technique in his teaching repeatedly. He says, you have heard it said this, but now I'm telling you this. You've heard it said this, but now I'm telling you this. You've you've heard it said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I'm telling you to love even your enemies. Such a strong message that he's given. And he's leaving no doubt in the minds of the people who are already hearing these Moses echoes. And Jesus is saying very plainly, the authority that Moses was leaning on was me. The thing that Moses was pointing ahead to is me, that Jesus is the perfect completion of all of the commands. He's the perfect fulfillment of all of the prophecies. He's the perfect fulfillment of every single promise that God made to his people. They all find their fullness in the person of Jesus Christ. And he boldly claims that authority. And at the end, it even says the people were amazed at his authority. The way he taught, they had never seen anything like it. So he grabs this authority and says, listen to me, this is what it means to be the people of God in the world. Not just to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And actually, the Old Testament doesn't say hate your enemy. It doesn't. The Old Testament command from Leviticus chapter 19 was love your neighbor. They put that on there as a way of like justifying their lifestyles. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Love the people who are like you, hate those who are not. 
And they put that on as a justification. But right there in the same chapter in Leviticus, chapter 19, in the same passage where it says, love your neighbor as yourself, it also says, welcome the stranger and the foreigner among you. The people who are not like you. Love them too and embrace them too. And so Jesus says, you've heard it said this. I'm telling you this. Love even your enemies. Love even your enemies. Now, here's the deal. All of us have that crazy uncle, don't we? (laughs) That one who says things and you're like, I really wish you wouldn't say that out loud. (laughs) And you like kind of have to justify what the uncle said. You're like, oh, he didn't really mean that. What he was trying to say is this, right? Take it with a grain of salt. What he really meant was, Jesus is not your crazy uncle. Jesus means what he says, and he says exactly what he means. And in fact, he is himself the means through which he fulfills what he says and what he calls us to and the challenges and the conviction that he gives us. Jesus means it. And so when he says, turn the other cheek, and when he says, walk the extra mile, and when he says, give them even your cloak, This isn't hyperbole. This isn't clever phrasing of his teaching. He means what he's saying, and he's carving out a recklessly different way to live in this world. And we look at this and we say, but this is hard teaching. Like, this is really hard. Jesus, what are you talking about? This is really hard, isn't it? No, it's not hard. It's not. It's impossible. That's what it is. It's absolutely impossible. Christianity is brilliant as a philosophy. And if people as a society would adopt the Sermon on the Mount as like our collective kind of social ethic that we lived out, this would be an incredible place, right? The world would be an incredible place if we actually adopted that because Christianity as a philosophy is brilliant. But Christianity as a philosophy is impossible. We cannot do these things. That he's commanding us to do out of our own skill, out of our own ability, out of our own willpower, out of our own instinct. It's impossible. It's impossible as a standard and an ethic for living. It's impossible as a religious code. If this were mere religion, then it would be a yoke of bondage. And a burden too great for any of us to bear. But thankfully, Christianity is not a philosophy. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is not simply a moral code or ethic by which we live. Christianity is a dynamic relationship with a living person named Jesus. And as we die to ourselves and surrender ourselves, as we die to our old selves, then the resurrection life of Jesus raises us up into new life and God begins to live his life through your life as you are transformed and made new by his grace. Christianity is not a revolutionary movement because of its ability to create nice people or morally pure people or well-behaved people. That is not what Christianity is about. Christianity is a revolutionary movement because it tells the story of a God who loves even his enemies. 
a God of holy love who is so holy you cannot approach him, but who is love so he came to you. That's what Christianity is about. It's this countercultural story that the world is dying to see lived out. So hungry for it. It's an upside down countercultural kind of story. And this is the vision that Jesus is laying out right here. We have to die to ourselves so that his life can live this through us. We are transformed by his love when we're rescued by his love and redeemed by his love. And then he begins to bring about reconciliation around us because we've been reconciled to him. As we are reconciled to him, he turns our hearts outward. Martin Luther, the old theologian, defines sin as the heart curved inward on itself. It begins with unbelief in this sense of I can't really trust God. And then it moves to pride, which says my way and my wisdom is greater than his. I can't really trust what he's saying, so I'm going to trust my own wisdom. And the heart is curved inward on itself. John Wesley later defined holiness as the opposite, borrowing these words of Jesus, the heart turned outward towards God and towards others. It's the reality of it. And that's what the love of Jesus is up to in our lives. That's what he is doing. Jesus gives us this impossible command, love your enemies. But in his grace, he attaches this very practical way of walking this out. Immediately after it, love your enemies. How in the world am I supposed to do that, Jesus? How do you change my heart? How can that happen? He says, love your enemies. Pray for those who hurt you. Pray for those who hurt you. There is spiritual power, transformational power, the grace of God at work as we enter into these prayer lives with him and walk with him in the depths of prayer. And as we begin to pray for our enemies, something shifts in our hearts. Something begins to shift in our hearts because we all understand that prayer is talking to God, right? We get that, and that's how we think about prayer. But prayer is also listening to God. And if you begin to pray for your enemy and you're like, Jesus, please help this person because I cannot help them. And, man, they've got such a messed up life. And please do this in their lives and do this and change this about them. As you start to pray for somebody who is your enemy, and then you pause long enough to listen, then God will begin to reveal what his heartbeat is for that person. And you'll begin to see how that person is loved by God. He'll begin to reveal that, and it will begin to change your heart, that heart curved inward. He will begin to draw outward towards even your enemy. This is the reckless love, the scandalous grace of Jesus, and it's only possible through him. We all understand that in prayer, we bring our burdens to God. He invites us to do that. Bring your burdens. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. So we bring our burdens to God. But here's the dangerous thing about prayer. When we pause long enough to listen, then God starts to give his burdens to you as well. And the things that break his heart, if you'll pause and listen, he'll start to break your heart for those things too. You'll begin to carry this burden for the people around you. Suddenly you'll begin to see them as Jesus sees them. And this strange thing will begin to happen in your heart as he slowly curves your heart outward as you're transformed by the power of grace. And you'll begin to love even your enemy, even your enemy. 
And the weird thing about praying for your enemy is that's how you destroy your enemy. When you pray for your enemy, you get rid of your enemy. It's not that the person goes away, it's that they stop being your enemy. And suddenly your enemy is gone. And instead, that person becomes someone you see as a beloved child of God in desperate need of the grace of God, just like you are. In desperate need of his grace, just like you are. Jesus goes on to this challenge. He says this, if you greet only your own people. How how are you different? How is anything different? If you greet only your own people, then how is anything different? The kingdom of Jesus has counterintuitive priorities. He sets priorities that are completely different. When Christ takes first priority in our lives, he begins to work this strange kind of wonder in our hearts and in our souls. He unites us together as believers in Christ. Three different churches, three denominations, three all kinds of backgrounds, diverse experiences. He's uniting us together as his people. And it's the love of Jesus that is crossing all of these different backgrounds and barriers to bind us together because he's the thing that we have the most in common with each other. And so there's this deep union and this rich union because of the love of Jesus that we have. And that's what happens with us. But it doesn't stop there. This strange love of Jesus doesn't just create a deep and rich union with other believers. It also begins to create in me a deep and rich compassion for people who are outside of my own faith. And my heart begins to break for people who are so different from me. People that I can't see anything in common with. He begins to break my heart for them because his heart breaks for them. The same love of Jesus that unites believers in union creates a compassion for people who are not believers. Christians have never been an us first kind of people. Christians have never been an us first kind of people. On the contrary, we've been the first to cross boundaries. We've been the first to go across borders and to reach out to the outcast. And as followers of Jesus, he's calling us to actually do that, to follow him where he's leading. And if we look at the life of Jesus through the Gospels, we're seeing that he's always going towards the marginalized and the outcast and the rejected and the forgotten. And he's saying, if you're going to be a follower of me, then you've got to go with me where I'm going. Come with me. What the love of Jesus does in us, we've always been This kind of people. So the Roman emperor Julian makes this comment about early Christians. And he's completely bewildered by them. And he says the strange secret of their success, I think, is that they don't only care for their own poor. But for some reason they care for our poor as well. And those early Christians engaged with the marginalized of their communities. The love of Jesus welling up within them but refusing to stay in them. And spilling out to the people on the edges. It captured the imagination even of the Roman Empire when they saw that lived out. St. Patrick. We all know about St. Patrick, right? And we associate him to Ireland and all of this. But the crazy thing about St. Patrick is he wasn't actually Irish. All right? He wasn't actually Irish. That green beer, it's for nothing. All right? Just kidding. (laughs) 
He wasn't Irish. He actually, when he was a young man, he was captured by people and taken into slavery in Ireland. It's not where he was from. They were his enemy. The Irish were his enemy. They were the people who enslaved him. And as he was working in the fields as a shepherd, through a miraculous and divine moment, he was able to escape and he was able to get safely back to his home. Where after that experience, because God had, had, had drawn him to himself, he becomes a clergy person. He gave his life. He said, just use me however you want, God. So he became a clergy person. And as he served through ministry, as he was getting close to retirement, he was prepared. He had this great savings and was ready to retire after this career in life in ministry. And he had a dream and he had a vision in which he heard people from Ireland speaking to him. And he heard them begging him, please, young shepherd boy, come back and free us. Come free us. So he sold what he had and he used it to fund his mission to Ireland. The very people who had enslaved him. And now his story and their story are immersed, are enmeshed with each other. And they are his people. They are his people. We've always been these kind of people. When, when plagues have, have swept through societies, Christians are the ones who run in to help serve the dying and the sick, even though they know it means their own lives are being forfeited in the process. Christians are at the forefront of forming humanitarian organizations, and some of the leading humanitarian organizations in the world were started by Christians, not because they were activists, but because they were Christians. And it's what we do, and it's who we are. Abolitionists... Many of them were led by their love for Jesus, which sparked in them a love for their neighbor to bring about freedom. Abolitionists and the civil rights movement organized in local churches and mobilized behind a preacher. And to this day, the church should be the leaders in the efforts of racial reconciliation. As God stirs up in us a love for the people around us. Two weeks from now, our friend Vimala is hosting a meal at her restaurant, Vimala's Curry Blossom Cafe, best Indian restaurant in Chapel Hill. And the owner, Vimala, is, is a part of our family. And she's inviting us to co-host another meal for local refugee families. And so we did this on January 1st, and we're going to do it again in, in two weeks. We're going to host a meal for local refugee families. We're going to share a table with people who are very much unlike us. And we're going to share a table with people who are feeling rejected and are sensing fear right now in this moment. And we're going to be honored that they'll let us share a table with them as well. Not because it's a politicized rant. We don't go there as a church. We don't go there. Not because it's a politicized reaction. Simply because we feel like that's the kingdom response. And we need to be a part of that. Love has the courage to cross lines that are drawn by fear. Then Jesus ends it up with this statement. Be perfect as your father in heaven was perfect. I was with you till that moment, Jesus. Be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. As if it's not difficult enough to love my enemies and to pray for those who hurt me. Now you're telling me to be perfect. 
as the Father is perfect. What in the world could Jesus mean by that? In the original language that this is written, in the original context, the word perfect here means to be made complete. To be brought to maturity and fullness. And this is the invitation that Jesus is calling us into. This is the invitation, this transformation of who we are from the inside that begins to work its way out of our lives. And he begins to bear fruit of growth and maturity in our lives, not because of what we do, not because of perfectionism. That's not what he's talking about here at all. Not at all. But because he's raising us up in maturity as children of the father. And because he's bringing us. To this point of being made complete because the one who said it is finished is working in our lives. Paul says it this way. He says the one who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He will. And Jesus is at that work in our lives right now. All of these teachings, this idea of reckless love, this idea of loving your enemies of praying for the people who hurt you of being brought to maturity and being made complete through the transforming work of the strong grace of Jesus all of this feels impossible and it is as a philosophy or as a religion but thankfully Christian is Christianity is none of those things it's a dynamic relationship with Jesus and as we die to ourselves he lives his life through us that's what we're being invited into as we close out this morning we are going to share in the family meal the lord's supper and uh reverend brown is going to come and lead us in that and as he invites us to into repentance and as he invites us to the table today then if you are hungry to embrace the work of jesus in your life. If you want to say Jesus. I want you. To reign in my life. As the king. The unrivaled reign in my life. Then we invite you to participate. In this way. There will be one station here. Where we will serve the bread and the cup. You'll tear off one piece of, a piece of the bread. And dip it into the cup. Taste and see. That the Lord is good. And if you need a gluten-free option, we will also have that at this space. I'll be, I'll be giving that. This meal we're about to share together, as Reverend Brown's going to lead us, is a beautiful picture of what reckless love looks like, of what it looks like to love your enemies. Our Savior, Jesus, God himself, loved his enemies to make them his friends. We're grateful for that. Amen. repent and are heartily sorry for these our misdoings. The remembrance of them is grievous unto us. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father. 
for thy son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake. Forgive us all that is past and grant that we may hereafter serve and please thee in the newness of life to the honor and glory of thy name through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Almighty God, our heavenly Father, who of thy tender mercy did give thine only son, Jesus Christ, to suffer death upon the cross for our redemption, who made thereby his oblation of himself once offered a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice, oblation and satisfaction of the sins of the whole world, and did institute in his holy gospel, commanded us to continue a perpetual memory of that his precious death until his coming again. Hear us, O most merciful Father, who most humbly beseech thee, and grant that we, receiving these thy creatures of bread and wine, according to thy Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ's holy institution and remembrance of his death and passion, may be partakers of his most blessed body and blood, who in the same night that he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of this, for it is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many, for the remission of sins. Do this oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. You who are in love and charity with your neighbor and intend to lead a new life following the commandments of God, walking from today forward in his holy ways, draw near with faith and take this sacrament to your comfort with a grateful and humble heart. <laughs> 